And so it's upon the love of the Father that I want us to focus our attention this morning. That's the emphasis of verse 32. Um, Again, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? It's only of the Father. Only of the Father is the Lord Jesus Christ the Son. And so only of the Father can Paul the Apostle be speaking when he says, He did not spare His own Son. His own Son. How is the love of the Father exhibited in this verse? There are four features here that I would draw your attention to this morning. And uh, in your bulletin there, I've employed uh, a little alliteration to help you remember these four features of the Father's love. Uh, one, the peerlessness of the person. Two, the supremacy of the sacrifice. Three, the particularity of the provision. And four, the guarantee of grace. And I wholeheartedly hope that these uh, are not handicaps and don't hinder, hinder your understanding of this. Enough of alliteration. Enough of that. First, the peerlessness of the person. The peerlessness of the person. The distinctiveness, the separate nature of the relationship that existed between the Son and the Father. In John chapter 5, uh, we read this, John chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. But Jesus answered them, My Father, my Father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him, because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, making Him equal with God. Jesus called God His own Father. This means that no other but the Father stood in this unique relationship to Jesus the Son. And Paul says here in in verse 32, Paul says His own Son. And this means that no other stands in this unique relationship to the Father except the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father... (laughs) has many sons, has many daughters by adoption. And He will bring them all to glory. Uh, We rejoice in that. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been adopted into God's forever family. We are heirs with God. We are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Sons and daughters of the living God. But... Scripture permits no confusion to exist between the sonship of the only begotten, the unique, peerless sonship of the only begotten of the Father and those who have been adopted by His grace. No other but the eternal Son is the Father's own Son. This is an incomparable, eternal sonship. When the Son of God came into the world, there was no suspension of this eternal sonship. Since there was no suspension of this 
inexpressible, overwhelming fatherhood and sonship. There's no suspension of the love which the Father bore to the Son and the Son to the Father. Jesus said in the days of His flesh, the Father loves the Son. And He also said, I love the Father. We know something of this. We, we love our kids. We love them. Last night as I was talking to some of these guys as they were coming back from Haiti, they were talking about working with my son in Haiti. And I just wished that he had come back with them so that I could just embrace him and see him. I love him and I know he loves me and I know you love your children and they, they love you. But the relationship between the father and the son God's own Son. God the Father being Jesus' own Father is altogether separate and distinct. There was and is this infinite measure of reciprocal love untainted by any sin or or corruption. It's not constrained in any way by ignorance or, or quenched by knowledge. But it's a love, a perfect love that is drawn out by this exclusive an exhaustive intimacy. The Father loved the Son. The Son loved the Father. And it was to do the Father's will that the Son, Son came. He came because He loved the Father. And the Father sent Him because there was no other who could fulfill this mission. This mission of redeeming a fallen world. And throughout all the stages of Jesus' Jesus' task as Messiah, as Redeemer, as champion of the covenant of grace, throughout all the stages of that task until His work reached its climax on the cross, the love of the Father flowed out to the Son with increasing satisfaction and delight. That's the witness of Jesus Himself. He says in John chapter 10, My Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. Even in the agony of the cross, uh, even in the agony of the garden and, and the abandonment of the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was the unique object of the Father's love because He was the Father's own Son. And He was fulfilling the Father's highest commission. Jesus was uniquely, peerlessly related to the Father. He was uniquely and immeasurably loved by the Father. Yet, He was not spared by the Father. That brings us to the, to the second feature of the Father's love. The the, supremate, the supremacy of the sacrifice. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up. Now, preachers are supposed to be people of words. They're supposed to be wordsmiths. They're supposed to be able to, to talk. They have the gift of gab. But into these, these areas of God's revelation... Words are hard to come by because of the astonishing truths and the the concepts that are involved here. 
He did not spare, but He gave Him up. He did not spare, but He gave Him up. Our attention is immediately drawn to a negative and to a positive, to what the Father did not do and to what the Father did. First, the negative. He did not spare. Sparing applies to suffering. Suffering that may be inflicted but is withheld. Parents spare their children when they, when they don't inflict the full measure of punishment due to, to willful disobedience. Judges spare criminals when they don't pronounce a sentence commensurate with the crime that's committed. Now, it is the opposite of this kind of sparing, of this kind of holding back, of this kind of refraining that the Apostle proclaims here in verse 32. Suffering was inflicted upon God's own Son, His unique Son, His well and perfectly loved Son. His Son was not spared the full measure of God's rod, not one whit of the full toll of judgment due to the sins of those on whose behalf the Son suffered was beheld. Not one whit, not one stroke was lightened. He did not spare. Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 53, speaking of the Son, of this suffering servant, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He has put Him to grief. Think of that. There's nothing like that in the Scriptures. God the Father loved the Son. That is undeniable. Yet He didn't lighten the stroke. The strokes fell upon Christ and unrelieved intensity with all the gravity, with all the weight due to the sins He bore. The sins of His people. What does that mean? I think it is the, it is the, the utter marvel of the Father's love to the people who He had chosen and sent the Son to redeem. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ... As Savior and Redeemer, it means that for you, the Son was not spared. For you, the load was not lightened in any way. It means for you that the Father gave the Son. This is the Father's love and it it just causes us to stagger in amazement. Not Not the amazement of bewilderment. But the amazement of adoring wonder, I I just think of those lyrics in that great hymn beneath the cross of Jesus. And from my stricken heart with tears to wonders, I confess, the wonders of redeeming love and my unworthiness. The Father did not spare. What's the positive? But He gave Him up. He gave Him up. The Father gave Him up to be nothing less than the curse of sin. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, the, He that is the Father gave Him that is the Son. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The Lord Jesus Christ was so identified uh, to such an extent with sin that the condemnation of sin fell fully upon Him. Condemnation is, is preeminently God's wrath, and the Son bore the stroke of the Father's wrath completely. You know how, how cramped our understanding, how narrow our perspective, how impoverished is our view when we think that the infliction of judgment is inconsistent with the exercise of infinite love. Here we have a divine example, and I think this carries over and can be made with our own children, children we love. The warnings of the Proverbs is not to neglect that loving discipline. We see this in our own Christian lives in, in Hebrews 12 and verse 16 where it's an identifying mark of our sonship, our daughtership, if you will. Uh, the Lord corrects, the Lord chastens, the Lord disciplines those He loves. And here in verse 32 we have the supremacy of this sacrifice. Think of the Son willing to do the Father's will. Because no other, no other could accomplish the task and dwell on the Father's love. You know, our, our deeper appreciation for the whole plan of salvation, the marvelous scope, the hues of the glorious plan of salvation will only come as we view it from the perspective of, of full condemnation and curse born by a substitute. And then we'll begin to see the love of God, that love which will be uh, eternally explored, but eternally inexhaustible. The third feature of the Father's love that I would just draw our attention to here is the particularity of the provision. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. For us all. Who are the us all in the passage? I think they are the all defined by the context. They are the all of whom Paul is speaking, and not inclusively. This is not a... a a, a, a verse for universal salvation. Paul has been speaking to the called according to God's purpose in verse 28. A purpose defined in terms of, of foreknowledge and predestination in verse 29. He's addressing those he can challenge in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He's speaking to those elect in verse 33. But the point to be noted now is that within that circle of those concerned, the us, the us of the call, the us of the foreknown, the us of the predestined, the us 
to whom Paul can challenge in that circle of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no restriction. There's no exclusion. Jesus was delivered up for us all. In God's good providence, I married into a family of four girls. I was able to get the third one. <laughs> I married the third of four Stevens girls. And it's been delightful these past 38 years or so to see the similarities between these girls. Mannerisms, uh, inflection in speech, just uh, sort of neat to sort of to, to sort of take note, do a little sociological study of these four girls there. But then they're different. Each has its own individual. Each has her own individuality. Uh, no two persons are identically the same. Uh, even even identical twins have their own distinguishing features. I cannot tell between Anna and. Uh, and uh, Lydia Gregory, but mom and dad can, and others that are close to those girls uh, can see that. We each have our own distinguishing features that sets us apart, that makes us different, that makes us unique, and that's especially true with regard to sin. We each have our own way. We each have our customized way of rebelling, of transgression, uh, uh, of falling short. There's similarity. There's similarity, sure, to others. Yet there are distinctions in my sin, in my selfishness, in my pride. Again, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. To his own way. So when God saves someone, it's not in the mass of people. But he saves that particular person. He deals with each in their particular situation. In giving up his son, the father contemplated the distinctiveness and the particularity of your sin, of my sin, of my misery, of my liability, of each one. And if we're sensitive, if we're sensitive to the scope, the magnitude to the enormity of our sins. It's, it's sort of difficult to entertain this thought. It's easier to think of the Father's love and the provision if we're submerged sort of in the mass of others, you know, and not contemplated in my own particular way, the way that I have particularly transgressed, if I'm somehow hidden in the group, 
If, I, if, if I'm part of the group that God is saving and calling to Himself and adopting into His forever family. You know, I want to be behind Ernie. <laughs> I want to be beside Mac, you know. I just want to be in the group. I don't want to be distinguished. But I don't think we can look at it that way. We cannot look at God's provision of the Son in that group dynamic. Salvation can only be for us if it is salvation in all the particularity of our need, of my need. Paul says it this way in Galatians 2, He died for me. The Son was not spared for me. He gave Himself for me. And in this text, in in Romans 8.32, He expresses it in terms of the Father's love. And this is a precious, precious truth because it inspires the confidence needed in the face of the gravity of my sin. My sin is great. His grace is greater. His grace of greater. And it assures us that there is no case that falls outside of the Father's provision. There's no one beyond His redeeming love. The Father loved the Son, but He spared not the Son for me. He spared not His own Son to the wrath, to the curse, to the condemnation that my sins merited. The fourth feature of the Father's love is the guarantee of grace. The guarantee of grace. The promise of a faithful God. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? It's apparent that all that precedes this text leads to this rhetorical question. And it's posed by Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit. It's posed by Paul in the form of a question because it forces us to confront the unthinkableness of the opposite. If He gave up His Son for us, how will He he not with Him freely give us all things? The question is used because, again... It causes us to think about the unthinkableness of the opposite. The purpose is to enforce the assurance that all things necessary, all things securing, all things furthering the redemption, salvation, glorification of the people of God will be freely and infallibly bestowed. It is an argument from the greater to the lesser. If the Father did not spare His own Son, 
but gave Him up for us all. How in the world could He fail to bring to fruition the end contemplated in such a sacrifice? <laughs> Paul says it's, it's unthinkable that He might die in vain. There's the guarantee of grace. There's the eternal security of the believer. He spared not His Son. He gave Him up for you and me. Surely, He will bring to fruition everything contemplated in that sacrifice. The exhibits of love that you might give to your father or fathers today is a good thing. I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll extend those greetings and those cards and those gifts and those special lunches or dinners or however you might want to celebrate. But the greater and the greatest exhibition of love is that of our Heavenly Father. The Father's love, an everlasting love. He loved with a love. He loved with a love so great, so invincible, so purposeful, that He gave over His own Son to, to taste death for everyone that He would call to Himself, so that you or me, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, would never taste one drop of the condemnation that our sins merited. Oh, the marvel. The marvel of the Father's love. Eternity will not scale its heights or fathom its depths. Let's pray. God and our Father, I, I pray that You might uh, cause Your Word and the truths of Your Word to, to resonate with us. We pray that Your love would so flood our hearts and minds and wills that it would constrain us uh, to be conduits and, and heralds of that love in, in all of our relationships. Uh, in everywhere that You would place us, there we might bloom because we have known the love of our Father. Help us to that end, we pray, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.